to the 29th ever episode of the Unsigned Manager Podcast. And my bad that I haven't been here. I'm so sorry. I've been busy. Please allow me. This has been such a disgusting period for me. The last six weeks, I'm surprised I'm even awake. Um, so that's why I took the podcast off because I just had stuff that I had to get done. But we're here. We're back. Back at it. So consistency for 2022 that's the word i'm going to try and be as consistent as possible podcast every week sometimes two a week if i'm feeling good but that's a side topic anyway this is the unsigned manager podcast with me big squid sigicola runs through football's biggest stories headlines events from both the past and the present taking a deeper look at the game now hopefully podcast sounds better i've re-updated like the situation where i'm recording audio should be crispy everything should be nice and i've been taking a deep look at everything i've been missing stuff i haven't talked about so i just want to run through everything that's been kicking off i don't care if i'm later than anyone else i don't care if you already heard this on 12 people who cares i've got stuff to get off my chest so let's get into the episode okay so i know that i've been like a deadbeat dad when it comes to this podcast and that's probably gonna be the title been like a deadbeat dad not showing up not really been too legit saying i'm doing an episode not doing it so my bad but i also know what feels like to be a parent that disappointment when someone you've had such high expectations for is going wrong i've been feeling that now i've been championing this guy forever since i was like 10 or 11 this has been my guy i put him over rooney i put him over drug but hell i would have swapped him for rvp when arsenal were on the ropes not really doing too much and that was that was Oh, Romelu Lukaku has an absolute stinker, a proper big howler. Now, this is going to go into a wider point later about people being big time at the club, but I just don't get why he would do this interview. Now, just to set the scene, in case you didn't know somehow already, you didn't know. Lukaku's had a long career. Signed for Chelsea from Anderlecht when he was a kid, when he was like 18. Then went on loan to a few Premier League clubs before going to Everton permanently. So I think he went on loan to West Brom and then Everton on loan and then settled at Everton. And that's when he became a phenom. His numbers at West Brom are solid. He's like one in two for a 20, 21 year old. But when he got to Everton permanent, guy's big, physical, built like Heskey. Big guy. But he's not a target man. You wouldn't just, if you're a centre back, you wouldn't lump it up to Lukaku. That's not really his game. He's a killer in behind. He wants to get in that pocket in between the centre-back and the full-back, play a 1-2 and spin. Number 10 plays him in behind and he's finishing a cross goal. That is that is the ultimate Lukaku goal. Doing that at Everton for years, battering the league, trying to make them a contender, that got him a serious move to United for about a trillion pounds or whatever, which didn't go well, but, that, but it was better than people remember. But the issue is that Man United was so horribly run and he was really mismanaged and the club didn't even know that he could eat certain things and he's telling people, I feel too heavy, why are you making me lift all these weights? And then they're making him lift weights. Ah, it's, a, it's all a big stinker. So then he goes to Inter Milan. He goes to Inter Milan under new manager Antonio Conte when Inter are saying they're going to make a serious run for the league and boy did this guy tear it up. I don't know why it took so long to get the best from Lukaku because he's not that complex a conundrum to solve. He's not a he's not a player that it takes a lot to realise how to get the best out of him. He's a big man, but he's not a target man. So you need to have smart passes around him because he wants to find gaps in between the defence and run in them. He works better when he has someone to bounce off. 
Bagged Ericsson at Inter. Ross Barkley and Kevin Morales at Everton. Kevin Morales, by the way, underrated. Effective winger. Very good on FIFA 13, I remember. And he needs a manager that understands that Lukaku needs space to run into. So he needs to build a team that can soak up pressure so that Lukaku can spin and hit teams on the counter. Best goal, the most classic Lukaku goal that he scored at Inter is in the Europa League semi-final, I think maybe against Villarreal is in my head. Um, but basically, Lukaku picked up the ball and runs past the entire team. Like He's unstoppable and he's dropping the shoulder and teams don't know what to do. Because he's so dangerous on the counter. He's not a target man lump it. He's not Eddie Carroll. He wants to be... You want to use him the same way you'd use Jamie Vardy. He's just like triple his size. Conte finally unlocks this. Puts him up front with people close to him so he can bounce off. Like Martinez, Ericsson, attacking wingbacks in Hakimi. He lets him have the ball to show his technique and his new creativity. Because when he was at United, everyone was saying that this guy can't ping. He's got a rubbish touch. He plays like he's wearing Timberlands, like he's got a backpack on his back, like his feet are made out of concrete, everything. So instead, he let Lukaku go and show his skills. Go and use that ability. Go and find Martinez on killer passes, cross-field pings, and using him as an in-behind striker rather than just a target man. So Inter win the league. Lukaku batters it. Inter playing a 3-5-2, by the way, or 3-4-1-2, dependent. But Lukaku's been in the two up front. Inter Milan, like I think I've done this episode before, Inter Milan and Barcelona are two of the worst run clubs in Europe previously. Inter's a lot better now. But financially, they were an absolute stinker. They they had no money and they spent it really badly. So essentially, they couldn't afford to keep the squad together that had just won the league. So they had to sell probably two of Hakimi, Martinez and Lukaku, who were the best players in the team. Obviously, Antonio Conte didn't like that, so he blew a gasket and then left. Hakimi gets sold to PSG, so it's either Lukaku or Martinez. Martinez is a lot younger than Lukaku, so it makes sense to sell Lukaku, and that's how he gets to Chelsea. £90 million man coming back to the European Champions with a new superstar manager, and you assume it would go well. Chelsea have got the team, the kind of exact team you need to, to get the best out of Lukaku, to replace Martinez uh, a nippy, smaller striker who can drop deep and collect the ball, who's good to bounce people off and, and can run in behind. That's Timo Werner. A number 10 who's a smart passer who wants to bounce off people. Christian Eriksen, that's Mason Mount. Attacking wing backs who like to get forward and can deliver well and can join the attack. Hakimi, that's Reese James. That's Ben Chilwell. You think to yourself this would be fine. And a certain hilarious podcaster even says, that Lukaku was the best player in the league the first five games through the season because he was battering it. Three goals in his first five is a promising start, and if we're being honest, what he did against Arsenal felt like he was going to do that every single week against every single team. And even if he didn't score, Lukaku has enough of a presence up front and is distracting enough to make space for Havertz, Mount, James, Chilwell, Kovacic to be effective and get behind and finish. To be fair to him, he did miss about a month through injury. I think he had an ankle sprain and then he was out for two weeks for COVID and has only netted once since his first five games of the season. So there is a drought there, but it's been broken up by injuries. So coming all the way back around, Lukaku gave an interview last month to Sky Italia detailing some of his thoughts on his recent mega million pound move 
and some things about his former club now. Being the, the press officer or the the PR person for a football club must be one of the hardest jobs in the world. Especially now, it's a bit more common for players to go and make their own decisions and say their own things and have their own social media, etc. Because you just don't know what they're going to say. And you have to spend the next section of the news cycle, the next 24, 48, 72 hours, cleaning up everything that's been said. Lukaku says that he wants to go back and play in Milan while he's still in his peak. Now, it's worth knowing Lukaku's 28. Then he has some choice words for his manager, wondering why he wasn't playing him more, why he needed a new system to get the best out of him, saying things like, Lautaro Martinez isn't going to come and join Chelsea and he wants to play with Martinez so he'll meet him back in Milan one day. Now, logically and fairly, in my opinion, it didn't go over well with any part of the Chelsea hierarchy from the fans to the manager because he's basically said, look, I didn't really want to come here, but it will do because there's also a section of the interview where he says that there's three major clubs in the world, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid and Barcelona. Now, Again, fair. However, your club's just won the Champions League. Maybe don't say that, especially as Barcelona are a turd right now. I didn't really want to be here, but it will do for now until I can go back to Milan. But the Baffer, the Baffer, the Gaffer needs to buck up his ideas and get the best out of me so I can get back to where I really want to be. Now, to be clear, there's nothing wrong with thinking that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with having that opinion. That's fine. The game is the game and the game is a business. So I have no headache with a player looking out for themselves, but... The issue is not what he said, it's that he didn't have to say it. He didn't have to say it publicly, at least. Why do players, and why do people in their own workplace, by the way, publicly make a stink, saying that they don't like the situation, and they need it to change, and da-da-da-da-da, and ruin the atmosphere for everyone else, when you could just have that conversation quietly? What am I missing? What is the point of Lukaku saying this? He could have had this conversation behind closed doors with Tuchel, which he had to have after the fact. But after the fact, you've lost all your leverage. Because the gaffer already knows that you've made this thing. It's not da 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 It's not going to happen. And you know the club's not going to sell you because you, they just spent £90 million on you. They need to get that return back, at least. Or 95% of it. And if Lukaku's running around in Italy saying that he wants to leave, they're not going to get 95% of that. So you're not going to go. Chelsea will know that he wasn't set on coming there. They will 100% know that he didn't want to leave Inter and that Chelsea was lower down his options. They will know they're not getting the best out of their striker and they will be scheming on how to rectify it. So if Lukaku knows that and the club knows that, then who else needed to know? It might just be a personal thing and maybe I'm not one of those types of people, but why put your whole business out there? Why put your washing out in the street? Drag your team through the mud for a week. And obviously he didn't know... I assume he didn't know when the interview was going to be released, but it being released a week before a game against one of your biggest rivals for the league, just before the Liverpool game, could not have been worse. Why take away all the focus from the prep? Change the narrative from tactics and technique to your long-lost love for Conte and Lautaro. Someone like Anthony Martial. See, I respect what Martial did. If you don't know, again, I'd be surprised if you don't. Martial went to Ranić behind closed doors and said, look, I'm not loving it here. I want to move on. It was Ranić that said it openly and brought it out, but Martial went to him quietly like, I need to find me somewhere in, in January. Respect for that. Did it behind closed doors. Nothing wrong with that. You don't need to mash up your whole team. Don't need to drag up the team through mud, everything. Lukaku and Sir Harold Kane, I'm still on to you. I will never, ever forget about that. 
are running around willing to turn their whole club upside down. It just doesn't sit right with me. Lukaku's for me, his situation is even worse than Kane because at least Kane has... Kane's at least built enough equity in the club to say, all right, I've tried to say to you quietly, I want to go, and you haven't let me do it, so yeah, I'm going to go and play golf with Gary Neville. Now, although I think that that was a neaky decision, and it's a bit weird, he's got a bit more justification than Lukaku, because Lukaku didn't say it. Tuchel saying, this is the first I've ever heard of this. He only just moved there about six months ago, and he's been injured for half the time, so you can't be running around saying that you want to go somewhere else. We haven't even got anything out of you. Again, again, don't think I'm here defending Premier League clubs for the edge of my life and that players shouldn't be allowed to make their own decisions and want to leave and be free thinking. That's all fine, but I don't think it's fair to your teammates and your manager to publicly whiz all over them when you could have just kept this indoors and said it to the people who needed to know. Lukaku is my absolute guy. And when I'm thinking of my all-time favourite most fun bad boy 11 i was thinking about it yesterday and i'll go for it one day as a mean team he's my number nine in it he's my favorite he's my favorite premier league striker ever but i cannot ignore and i cannot be be choosing on who i who i stick it on and who i don't because kane i feel like is did his club dirty and hasn't even replayed them with his performances this season and lukaku needs to muck up his ideas because because he wasn't even great against Tottenham. So he, he's he's thinking up the changing room, causing a headache, and then not performing, not having it. Oh, and on that, by the way, Alexis Sanchez, I will never, ever, 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 ever forgive you for trying to stink up the Arsenal changing room. And Man United got what they deserved when they signed him because he was a he was a useless guy there. And he tried to get all big time for the Arsenal changing room, not having it. All right. So, I've been, don't, just because I haven't been recording, I've been watching games, I've been keeping up to date with the league and everything, I just haven't been able to record, but let's just take a look at the table, because so many things have happened that I can't actually cover everything, so let's just go from the top down. Top of the tree, we've got Manchester City, currently 10 points clear of Chelsea, 11 points over Liverpool, unbeaten in 11 games, looking like peak footballing excellence. They weren't great in the Arsenal game, but... That kind of game is like indicative of teams that win the league. They go away somewhere to a difficult ground. They don't play well. They get themselves a slice of luck because the refereeing was awful. The fact the referee tried to block off Martinelli's finish, was, it felt like the whole game was against us. Then in the 93rd minute, the defensive midfielder finishes, celebrating. That's the kind of game that Ferguson's team would have won. Again, they're doing goals by committee because you know that Sergio Aguero left, but Sterling, Bernardo, Mares, KDB, Foden, all over five goals this season. They just made four, just under 40 million profit on Ferran Torres, who I've never personally been so hot on. I feel like that's not a bad move for Barcelona. No, I said before, I flip-flop with this one. He's not actually a bad signing because he's not a bad player, but he doesn't take them any further. He is... A little below Memphis Depay. He is probably as good as... Currently as like Ansu Fati or, or Usman Dembele. But it doesn't bring them up to a level further. So personally, that's a sideways move, not a forward move. But whatever. But they're going to have cash in the bank. So if they want to go sign a nine like Erling Haaland, 
or Vlavic probably won't go to them, but wherever they got money for them. Some funny stats for the season: Joao Cancelo has taken the most shots for them. The most shots for them has come from their supposed right back, and I have been in constant arguments with everyone I talk to. Positions in football do not matter. It's the same way for me. Positions in basketball do not matter. Who cares if you're a striker? Who cares if you're, if you're a left back? If you're a centre back? The only thing that matters is the role you contribute to the team. It does not matter where you do that role from. Trent Alexander-Arnold is one of the best creative players in the league. He's pro off my mind. He's probably number two or three behind Kevin De Bruyne and insert player, whoever I'm forgetting here. It doesn't matter that he plays right back. It doesn't matter that Virgil van Dijk is a centre-back. He's still one of the best passers in the league. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that uh, Olivier Giroud is a striker. He's one of the best creative players when he was at his peak in the league. Your position you play doesn't actually matter. It's the role you fill for the team. Are you a goal scorer? Are you a creator? Are you a stopper? Are you a distributor? Are you an energy bunny? Who cares? It doesn't matter what position James Milner is playing in it's the role he contributes to the team but that might be another episode that might possibly be next week um because I'm okay I'll keep that in the tuck we'll do that next week Pep has them playing on song they've caught heat at the right time which is important because Chelsea and Liverpool have had a couple tough game weeks so building a 10-point lead now is a blessing especially when it comes to AFCON coming up Covid's running rampant Teams aren't going to be at full strength. Having a 10-point cushion now is nice. City's next game is against the ultimate artist, the Vincent van Gogh of the Premier this season, the Pablo Picasso, the kings of drawing. they got Chelsea up next. And Chelsea have been underwhelmed. I thought they'd be much more dominant, meaner, more vicious, just overwhelming. Obviously, Lukaku struggled, but we've seen Mount take a long time to come back to the form after the Euros. Reese James is injured. Chilwell was out for the year. So it makes sense they haven't been as hot as you think, but it's probably because they won the Champions League last season and were so strong when Tuchel came in and thought they'd be invincible this year. Sorry, only one club can do that. But there is still definitely work to do here. Again, another issue, probably going into next season, but... Without Rudiger or Aspilicueta, if they don't sign new contracts, means that Kunde will definitely need to come in because they're going to need to sign a starting centre-back immediately. As well as backup fullback cover for Rhys James. Malong Saab is, is young, so it might be worth getting another centre-back. That's a lot of defensive cover they might need, especially as Thiago Silva gets older and older. Draws against Burnley, United, Everton, Wolves, Brighton and Liverpool with losses to West Ham doesn't look great for Tuchel. It's probably tempered by the fact that they pummeled one of the worst sport Spurs performances that I've ever seen in the Carabao Cup first leg. Oh my goodness, Tottenham were bad. But definitely still work to do at Chelsea. But they have loads of attacking players and it's hard to fit them all in. But I wish I would just do what I said earlier in the season and play a front two with Lukaku, with either Werner or Havertz and then have Mount or Havertz buzz around in the 10 behind them if you can keep the three at the back and I know you might lose the width which has been dangerous for Chelsea this year because in a 3-5-2 you would play with two strikers rather than two wingers and a nine 
However, getting the best out of your £90 million destructive striker who has a chance to be the best striker in the league, having a front two with him and a guy who is a constant problem because he's always running in behind, and then having Mount or Havertz be a goal-scoring number 10. I think I'd rather that over playing the LeBron James of football players, Christian Pulisic and Hudson Adore. He's been good. You can still switch out the formation and, and play with the wingers if necessary. Only thing I'm thinking of now is who is Chelsea going to lose at AFCON? Mendy. Mendy might be it. Yeah, because Morocco aren't taking Ziyech. I don't know what's going on there. But only Edouard Mendy. So, yes, Kepa's a step down, but a competent keeper, not too bad. Arsenal have lost Aubameyang, but we lost him weeks ago. Actually, it's good for us. And Thomas Partey, who is another guy I got my eye on. I don't know if you're a good guy. City will lose Mares, which is a problem because he's been red hot. But then there's at least 17 people who can back up his position, which I used to hate for Man City. It felt like they were hoarding all the talent in the league. But now if you're dropping out Mares and putting in a £100 million Jack Grealish or putting in best young player possibly in the world, Phil Foden or XYZ, you'll be fine. The only team, actually the team I'm thinking about next, who's going to be significantly weaker over the next month are Salapol. Doesn't really roll off the tongue, but I'll go with it. I thought it was clever. I've gone over it about a trillion times, as has everyone else, because he's been disgusting this season. But essentially, Liverpool have been pretty good, an 8 out of 10 compared to what they can do, but Salah has dragged them to where they are. The last Liverpool game I watched intently for 90 minutes was the Chelsea game, which was firstly super entertaining. Like, great, great game to watch but really telling for both sides, like you could see very vividly the problems both teams have. Chelsea are really fast when they play without Lukaku because they aren't playing towards a focal point, but they're not having a focal point means that some of their attacks are just a bit aimless and wayward. However, Christian Pulisic is more effective because then he can get in between the centre-back and the full-back rather than just going outside the full-back. And as much as I don't really like him, he was very good in that game. For Liverpool, the first 30 minutes were great. And even though I've probably seen them play together a hundred times at this point, Trent and Salah on the right-hand side just amaze me of how devastating they are. But then it's a headache if Salah isn't playing great. Virgil van Dijk as well. That sheen that he had two seasons ago as the best defender in the world has slightly come off, which makes sense. He had a serious injury. But now he looks like a great defender who you can catch on an off day, rather than an impenetrable guy who you just can't catch on any day. With Ibrahim Okanate, the new centre-back signing, I can see at Leipzig how Willy Orban, Dio Upamecano and Konate was an effective back three because, if you don't know, Orban is like, um, he's like per Mertesacker. Do you remember when Arsenal had Mertesacker and Koscielny and it was really obvious how Koscielny was flying around attacking people because Mertesacker couldn't go anywhere. That's what Orban is like. Like, he was a good player, but he was a mark the space. I'm not going to go running against demons because Upamecano and Konate are two extremely good athletes, so they can go and do that. But right now, Konate is at the first version of of Koscielny where he's just, like, flying into every tackle, even if he can't actually win it. Because normally he would win it especially in Germany or when he was playing in France because he was the the most athletic player on the pitch and the game isn't as far as we can read everything. Now in the Prem, like Chelsea can play it around him because he's going lunging into every attack. 
And now Van Dyke can't cover the same way that he used to a couple seasons ago, so it's easier to get at them. So when Matip is back from Akon, then that might be a bit better because Joel Matip, shout out to him, he's been proving himself this season, but well, and last season, but Kanate is not quite as polished yet and Van Dyke isn't as good as he was. Sadio Mane hasn't been at his best for a while, to be fair, but Mo Salah is possibly at the peak of his power, so it's fine because he's balanced out one side and the other, so it'll be a big miss. And it's not just the goals you're missing, Salah's creativity, his ability to draw two players in, his link-up with Trent, his link-up with Jota, like, you're going to miss a lot. And I assume, barring serious injury, I haven't checked Liverpool's injury record right now, barring injury, it'll probably be Firmino, Jota and Ox as the front three for the next month, because Mane and Salah will be at AFCON, which just isn't as potent. So I assume they'll have to find a way to make the midfield more attacking, maybe put Ox into midfield as a third man with Fabinho and Henderson or Thiago, if you want a bit more rangy passing, probably Thiago if he's back fit. I don't know about that guy's legs. Then put Minamino on the right, Jota wide left, Firmino up front and tell Robertson to be extra aggressive. Not that anyone ever needs to. So Jota can pull inside. But even as I'm saying that, it doesn't really sound that strong. That doesn't. AFCON has come at the worst time for Liverpool because City are pulling away. And they really need to be red hot to like keep the title race going. Which I still think is going, by the way. But if they can't really do that because they don't have enough backup forward depth. Jota and Firmino. After that, there's a big drop-off from Jota and Firmino to Minamino and Origi. But, in my opinion, the last thing I want to cover is I think the title race is still on. I don't really see why it wouldn't be. 10 points ahead of Chelsea, Man City are right now. 10 points is 3 losses and a draw. City have to go and play Liverpool again. Have to play Chelsea again. Have to play United again. They've played Arsenal twice. They have to play Tottenham again. There is, it's con- It'd be surprising, but it's conceivable that they could lose 3 games and get an odd random draw against a a Watford or a Villa who have just signed Coutinho this morning, or an XYZ. I'm not surprised at that. I think when you get to 15 points, no, when you need four losses, like 12 points, is long. If a team needs four losses to keep the title race going, that's long. But three losses, I think, is more than possible. It would take a, a Joao Cancelo getting injured, or Edison getting injured, or... Maybe Rodri being out and Dino's legs just aren't quite there, so you have to play Gundogan and da 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 da. There is, there is ways that he could work around it. Don't get me wrong; it's not looking like the title races. The door is almost shut, almost, but it's still open. Lukaku catches fire. Salah comes back from Afcon and scores a trillion goals a week. All right, there's ways we can keep this going, but over the second half of the season, especially this month, I'm looking at who's making January transfers. Um, because I think Chelsea might need a bit of recruitment. I wouldn't be surprised. I saw Liverpool looking for that um, Porto winger. I think his name's Luis Diaz. I haven't seen him play, so I can't judge him, but that doesn't surprise me, especially with the forward line. I've just had to explain when Salah and Mane aren't there. I can Arsenal keep it going. Arteta, I'm starting to like what you're doing here, by the way. Um, But yeah, I've got a bunch of episodes planned, so appreciate i'm back i've stopped being a deadbeat 
not a deadbeat father anymore. I'm going to be here. I'll be here every week. My apologies. Um, don't share the podcast this week. I haven't deserved it. Don't share it. Just listen and then close it. Don't tell your barber. Don't tell your friend, your neighbor, all that random stuff. I haven't deserved it. So my bad. But I will see you guys next week with an episode. And I think I'm going to do a fun one. Alright, peace.